Good morning. Glad you're here. I hope you've enjoyed the gift of life this last week. Um, You know, unless you're from Wisconsin, I know most of us enjoy the warm weather. Uh, It's a few of you weirdos that prefer it be winter all year long. Uh, But otherwise, it has been a beautiful summer so far. And uh, so every summer we do these summer psalms. And this morning, our summer psalm is Psalm 42. Uh, begins book two of the book of, of the Psalms. There's actually three of them. And, uh, and we're going to put it together with Psalm 43. And, and the reason is, is that they, they go together as though they were one single, single poem when they were initially written. Uh, you, you might notice there in your, your Bibles as you're looking at it that uh, most of the, the Psalms in this area have a, a title above them. And I don't mean the title that the publisher gives it, but uh, if you look there real closely, you can see to the choir master, like in Psalm 42, uh, a maskal of the sons of Korah. Uh, a maskal is a musical term, or believed to be a musical term. No one actually knows what it means uh, exactly. Uh, but you might also notice that Psalm 43 is lacking one of those titles, and it's very possible that's because this was intended to be uh, combined with Psalm 42. And the other reason is that both of these psalms actually deal with the, the same topic, the same subject as we work through them. In fact, they even include the exact same refrain word for word. So uh, take notice of that. As we read it here in a moment, I want you to see that uh, verses 5 and 11 of Psalm 42 and then verse 5 again in, in Psalm 43, the exact same refrain, the exact same words there. So uh, and we're going to look at it in those three sections. We're going to treat the refrain as the, the ending to each one of these sections, common chorus. And uh, so follow along as we read. We're going to be reading uh, Psalm 42, 43. We're going to go through it all here. So beginning in, in verse 1, Psalm 42. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, where they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession in the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude of festival, keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls the deep as the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me, forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God. And defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of, of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. 
let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. O Lord, might we, like the psalmist, desire to be in your presence, in your house, in the gathering of your people as we lift up songs of praise and prayers of hope for this day and hope for the days to come. Lord, thank you for this psalm. We now ask for understanding. We ask that you enlighten our minds so that we might understand what this meant to your people in the time it was written. Enlighten our minds to apply this truth to our lives today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, this, this image of a, a deer panting, uh, thirsting for these flowing streams is one of the most memorable images in, in all the Psalms, and all of Scripture, really. You know, it describes this idea of what it feels like to, to long for the presence of God, to, to long for Him to be close to us in our lives. Most of us read this, and, and if we're honest, I think we desire to, to have that desire for God, to, to desire like we see the psalmist communicating here. And in other words, I, I want to want God like that in the same way. We want to find ourselves so thirsty so, so that we seek our satisfaction in the Lord God alone. And yet, too often, we, even we who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit as, as Christians find ourselves lacking a desire for the living God in this way. In verse 2, he, he wonders, when, when will I be before the face of the Lord again? He's asking that question, and while the image is of a, of a deer being satisfied with the streams of water is, is the image he's picturing and hoping for, his, his actual experience so far has been that his tears his, uh, have been his food both day and night, and that's what he communicates here. He is desperate to be in the presence of the Lord. What he feels then is, is, what, is that God has abandoned him. See, our, our feelings aren't always accurate, but that is certainly, or this is certainly an honest feeling that he's communicating here, and it's, it's been made worse by those who are around him as they, they keep maliciously asking him, where is your God? Whatever he's, he's going through, the, the people around him are seeing God has not answered your prayer. And these, these taunts, though, they're, they're not from atheism. True atheism didn't even exist yet. Uh, those who are mocking him are mocking the fact that his God has not helped him in this current need. In verse 4, then, he's remembering the good old days when his relationship with God was positive, when it was encouraging, when it built him up, when, when he was among the people of God in worship, worshiping God. If you've been a, a believer for any amount of time, you probably felt something similar when you look back at uh, earlier days in your, your walk with the Lord. You remember joyful days in the presence of, of God in your past that might seem more joyful, more real, more um, close than, than you feel at this time. We often talk about those events in our lives. We call them the mountaintop experiences. Maybe it was a, a youth camp you attended, maybe a, a conference that you attended of some, some sort. I, I still remember when I was 21 years old in college going to the, the Passion Conference in uh, 1999. Um, and I remember just how 
near God felt and seemed as I was worshiping among 11,000 other college students. It was one of those things that I constantly look back on as just a sweet time with the closeness of the Lord there. Maybe you remember other memories at you know, church as a, as a child. Maybe you remember Easter mornings when you were growing up and just the, the sweetness of those times. When I was a, a young boy, I, I wasn't even a believer yet, but I, I can still remember just the, the sweet experience of, uh, of going with our extended family, gathering at my grandmother's church over across uh, the other side of Houston, and, and as we'd sing Silent Night on, on Christmas Eve and watch the, the sanctuary just fill up with the lights, there was something wonderful about being there with these people worshiping the Lord. When we look back at these, these wonderful experiences, when we look back at these times when, when God felt close, they can, they can fill us with sorrow about our current experience. It's that sense that, that God feels far away compared to that. Um, you know, that's, that's what's going on here with him. Uh, there's some irony in this psalm, though. I don't know if you caught it, but uh, the, psalmist, the, the psalmist here has written this, this song. It's written for corporate worship. It's to be sung in the temple. And at the heart, this psalm is about how sorrowful he is because he can't be in the corporate worship in the temple worshiping the Lord. <clears throat> See, I've, I've never asked anyone to give a reason why, why they're absent from a worship service. That would just be awkward, right? So why weren't you here? Um, <clears throat> I hadn't stopped people from giving me reasons, and I've heard all sorts of a, a, amazing reasons. Some of them are perfectly reasonable. There was sickness, or <clears throat> we were away on travel. Our car simply wouldn't start, or you know, our NTC bus got home in the middle of the night. Things like that, perfectly reasonable. Uh, some of the excuses or reasons given uh, have nothing, you know, or, or really nothing kept us from worship. We just kind of chose not to, to be there. Uh, some of them at least give reasons, you know, sorry, I, I, I stayed up late watching Netflix, so I slept in. Or uh, we just had a lot going on on Sunday, so we had to, we had to skip. And, and I'm not looking to condemn anyone. I know when you hear the pastor say these kind of things, it feels that way, but that's, that's not what I'm trying to do here, you know. The, those who miss for, for silly reasons, uh, I've done it myself. Not here. It's a little harder when you're preaching. Uh, <clears throat> but I've done it in the past. That's certainly been the way I've, I've approached it, you know. But these, these sort of explanations, they, they make me sad simply because the desire to gather and worship the God who created us, the God who has redeemed us, is, is so weak in us sometimes that any excuse to get out is is a simple excuse that we'll take. I mean, I, I understand that the need for sleep, but, but sometimes I wonder why was the need for sleep important in the morning when it was a time to wake up and yet not so important the evening before when it was time to, to settle down into bed. Whatever the case, the psalmist here in our passage today literally can't get to the temple for worship. He can't get to the corporate worship with the people of God. And what we're seeing here is that it is absolutely crushing him. That's how bad he wants to be there. He longs to be in the presence of God with the people of God. As Charles Spurgeon wrote on this psalm, he, he said, uh, he says, the, the psalmist viewed worship not merely as the sweetness of all luxuries, but as an absolute necessity like water to the deer. Only he said stag because he's British. The heart, though, isn't, isn't that what we desire as well? One of the beautiful things we, we learn in this passage here is, is that 
we can plead with God for the desire that we find lacking in ourselves. See, too often we, we come to a worship service, and instead of just engaging in the worship service, we, we come and we evaluate the worship service. You know, I don't, I don't really like his preaching. He's, he's boring or he's cheesy. He mentions Texas too often, right? Not enough mentions of you too, things like that. Or, you know, I'd, I'd rather listen to Matt Chandler or Tim Keller online. That can do that sitting in bed today. Uh, maybe they're not singing the songs I like, you know. Uh, too much Fanny Crosby, not enough Hillsong, whatever it might be. And, and I, I know this. I know the heart that does that because that's what my heart does. Uh, I, I struggle with that when I'll visit places. My whole life when I've gone to the church service, sometimes we fall into this critique idea of, okay, let me decide whether this is a good worship service. I'll evaluate it. And, and yet, what ends up missing out is just the experience of worshiping the Lord in those moments. And so what I've learned and what I continue to learn is that Preparing for worship makes a ginormous difference in our worship engagement. You know, getting sleep that we need the night before so we're not falling asleep during the service. And I understand there are exceptions. There's reason that's not possible. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, things like, like praying and asking God to give us a desire to worship, to, to lift our affections before him before we enter into worship, or, or, or reading the passage that we know is going to be preached on the night before just to, to stir your interest, to get you engaged in that. Maybe putting our phones away or, or putting them on the do not disturb so we can be as present in worship as we possibly can be. And, and just committing when we enter in to let go of our preferences just for the time just for the, the time that we're in her worshiping, to let go of those and just worship the Lord because he is worthy of our worship. Even more than, than, than worthy of our critiquing the worship, he is worthy of our worship. And I, I hope you know that in the, the corporate worship service, what we, what we find here is, is the means of grace that God has given to his people. Ligon Duncan explains the means of grace uh, in this way. He says... Um, the, mean, the means of grace get us to God. They get us into fellowship with God. They, they give us a taste of the Lord. They, they give us the experience of the Lord. Yes, God is present with you. When you sit alone on your porch and, and you're reading devotional, that is a wonderful time for you. But there is a, a unique way in, in which the reading and the preaching of God's Word, the way that prayer and participation in the, in the sacraments together draw us into the presence of the Lord. That's why we partake of the Lord's Supper every, every Sunday. It's a, it's a means of grace that God has given us, this experience of, of, of with the Lord. So the Lord is, is present here. Sometimes we forget that. And, and the grace that he gives to us is as real as the bread and the cup that you'll be, be holding later during the Lord's service or uh, supper. See, the psalmist doesn't just miss the temple, though. He misses being in the, you know, not just being in the temple, but, but being in the temple because God is there. It, God was manifested there, and, and the closeness there was felt. Verse 5 is, is the first of the three refrains that I mentioned earlier. Um, we're going to look at it the, the last time when we see it, so we're really going to get into what he's talking about, why it's there uh, in more detail. For now, I just want you to notice that that refrains an actual conversation. He's speaking to himself. He's asking a question, and then he's answering that question. Uh, and, and the question is, uh, why are you downcast, O my soul? It's the same question that verse 6, the next section, actually begins with. Why are you downcast, my, my soul? What he's saying here 
poetically is, I'm depressed. Life is weighing heavy on me, and, and my soul is heavy. I'm depressed. It goes on here, the, the location of Mount Mizar mentioned there is unknown. No one knows what Mount Mizar is to this day. Uh, but mentioned in that same verse here, we, we see Jordan and, and Hermon. Those are both uh, north of the Sea of Galilee, which tells us that is a very long distance from the temple where he wants to be, where the temple of the Lord is for worship. See, the psalmist is, is praying to God, and, and so we know that he believes that God is, is really present. It's not that he believes God is completely out of his, his range, right? This, 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 this lament then is because he knows that he meets God more fully in corporate worship of the temple, and he, and he just feels so far away. You know, in, in contrast to the flowing streams of, of verse 1 that the deer is seeking, in verse 7 we, we see two images of very dangerous water, the waves that are, are breaking over him, and the roar of a waterfall as it crashes into the pool below it. Uh, Jonah, you know Jonah and his experience with the Lord, uh, similarly tells the, the Lord in, in, in Jonah 2.3, he says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounds me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. See, one of the little details you notice in that is he's, the psalmist is saying these, these waves, these are the waves of the Lord. He, he sees the, hot, the sovereign hand of God even in this difficult circumstance. And yet, there in verse 8, we, we see his hope. It says his, his hope is in the Lord, his God. He says, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. The, the phrase steadfast love comes from a single Hebrew word, that, uh, hesed. And it means God's covenant loyalty, right? It means God's, God's uh, committed love to them, to him. Even as his prayers have, have yet to be answered, he he does not question the love of God for him. He does not question the faithfulness of God to him. Verse 8 concludes with that statement at night, God's song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. This is an important verse here. You know, his, his soul is cast down. He's depressed. And here in the night we find that he's singing. That doesn't mean that he's, he's singing something upbeat but, he, but he's singing, and these are prayers to the Lord, you know. But perhaps part of the psalm we're looking at right now is, is what he was singing, this, this pleading song to the Lord for his help. Verse 9 is, switches quickly, though, to this tough criticism of the Lord. Again, I know we mentioned it last week and maybe a few weeks before that, but the fact that we can come to our God and actually complain to him and he hears us. The fact that he's even recorded into his word is a, a wonderful thing. It's not that God can't hear our complaints. He certainly can. See, here he, he calls God his rock, his solid foundation, and yet the question that he's asking of his rock is, why have you forgotten me? <clears throat> our Savior, Jesus, prayed to God the Father in, in Mark fifteen thirty four something very similar as he hung on the cross there in the ninth hour, Jesus cries out, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, the Lord in that, that moment is carrying the sin of all who would rede be redeemed. The psalmist here is simply feeling forgotten by his God. It's a very real experience for him. And yet he cries out to God, right? You ever feel that God's just forgotten you? Like you've gone through the, the struggles of some sort for too long. 
surely God should have responded by, by this point, as though your, your prayers just, you know, dissolve in the air before they ever reach the ears of the Lord. This man feels it all the worse because of those are, who are next to him here taunting him over and over again. They're pointing out, you know, where is your God? He hasn't answered your prayers. Where is your God? Why hasn't he delivered you? He sings again in verse 11, the refrain, right? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See, as Psalm 43, our our second psalm here begins, uh, this is the, the first time that we see the psalmist is actually pleading with God for help. Um, actual help. He's asking for, for vindication. God, defend me. And, and again, though, he's asking this question of why, why? Why have you rejected me? Why do I continue to mourn? And then in verse 3, this beautiful prayer, he, he sings out to the Lord, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your, your dwelling. He personifies the light and the, and the truth as though they were guides that, that might lead him back to the, the presence of the Lord. The holy hill here that's mentioned is the, the temple on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. He's praying, lead me to the presence of the Lord so I may worship again with joy in the future just like I have had joy doing so in the past. He's hopeful. <clears throat> Verse 4, he he tells God what he'll do if the Lord answers his prayer. And he leads him back to the temple for corporate worship with the people of God. He prays, then I will go to the altar of God, to, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Uh, the lyre is not a, we tend to use that word different. Huh? The lyre was a, a small harp-like uh, instrument that was used for, for worship in this regard. And notice he's, he's not just thirsting for the pain to be removed. This is an important detail. He's not just thirsting, God, take away this struggle. Don't just answer me in that way. He's, he's thirsting for the presence of God to be real in his life, for God to be real to him and near to him. And so this brings us again to the third time to this refrain. You know, we, we humans have this <clears throat> terrible habit. We tend to assume whatever is the condition at this moment, is the condition things will be in forever. This is it. You know, if things are good, we assume they'll be good always. Uh, When we face depression or doubt, when we face failure in the workplace or conflict in relationships or or moral failure and the consequences that follow, we, we wrongly assume that this is how it will be forever. This is my condition forever. And because of that, we, we tend to give up hope way, way too easily. Or, or we find solutions that only mask the problem, you know, some, 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 maybe something taboo like, uh, like drugs or, or too much alcohol. Maybe something more culturally acceptable like, you know, endlessly streaming Netflix just so I don't have to think about life. Or an obsession with, with sports. Perhaps you find yourself living for the weekend or, or the next vacation. Or, you know, get away from normal life. That's all I want to do. You know, many mask their, their sadness with, with shopping, just hoping that maybe this next purchase, this is the thing I've been needing to get, this is the perfect device, whatever it might be, and, and this is going to give me a surge of joy. I, I'm not saying these things are evil. They're not evil, not all of them anyway. You know, va- vacations are, are certainly good and relaxing. I think you should all build these into your schedules. 
And, and yet, uh, you need to know they're, they're not ultimately going to, to lift your downcast soul. That's, that's not where this happens. As uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones pointed out many years ago, most of the unhappiness that we face in life, most of our depression, our feeling distant from the Lord, it, it's a result of, of listening to ourselves in times when we should be speaking to ourselves. Um, you know, we know everyone gets depressed sometimes to some degree, but, but, but notice here, he's, he's not just listening to his heart and the discouragement that seems to be coming out from within it. He, he's not just accepting the depression, he's, he's fighting back. He, he's preaching to himself. The psalmist is having this conversation with himself, right? He, he's asking his soul, he's asking himself, why are you so downcast? And then he is speaking back to himself. He's preaching to himself, to his own soul. He's saying, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. He's preaching to himself. He's reminding his, his weary, sorrowful, sorrowful soul that this too shall pass. We can say this to ourselves. You know, we can, we can personalize this. It's kind of weird, but... But it's helpful, you know. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Hope in God, Brian. Hope in God. For you shall again praise Him. This, he is your salvation and, and your God forever. Only use your name, not my name, because that would be really weird. We've got to fight back. We've got to preach to ourselves the, the Word of God, the words of truth in, in these times of depression and sorrow. And, and you might seem crazy, but I really mean this. Sometimes you've just got to say to yourself, you know, hey, self, stop spiraling. Stop spiraling with these worst case scenarios. Stop believing this depression or this anxiety is never going to end. Stop worrying about the world or your health or your marriage or the conflict you're in or the distance that, that God seems from you at this moment. Stop and remember. The Lord is for you. The Lord is for you. So what does it matter who or what is against you? The Lord Jesus loves you. He laid down his life for you on a Roman cross. God can lead you beside still waters again so you may drink of him like the thirsty deer and, and like the sheep of the good shepherd. And this, this means you've you got to spend time in the scriptures. Otherwise, what are you going to preach to yourself? What words of truth are you going to be reminding yourself if you don't spend time uh, in the scriptures where we find the light and the truth so that they're fresh in our mind, fresh so we can do battle with them? You know, read or, or better even memorize passages like 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10 that tell us we have this treasure in jars of clay to, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Or 1 John 4.10, and, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Or Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We could go on and on with this, Right? But you don't want me to. You have other things to do today. Uh, we'll bring this to a close. You know, um, 
So what does this teach us? What does this psalm teach us about this, our Christian experience? Here, here's what we learn here. At times, we feel far from God. At times, we feel depressed. And our, our best responses in this time is, is to listen to God. Not our, not our anxious hearts. Listen to God in His Word so that we can preach to ourselves moment by moment the truth of the Gospel. That God has, has loved us with a covenant-keeping, sinner-redeeming love. And we can rest in that. We also know that as, as Christians who are united in, in Christ, that we are also indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And, and so we can enjoy intimate communion with God no matter where we find ourselves. And still we, we know that there's something special about gathering together. Gathering with other Christians who are also worshiping the Lord. Gathering together to worship our covenant-keeping God. And there we receive the, the means of grace and our souls are nourished. And, and so let's not neglect the gift of, that God has given to his people to gather together and worship him. And I, and I say that as a means to say, not, don't be afraid to miss service because of something. But I really want to challenge your hearts that to, you make corporate worship a priority in your life. Not just something if there's nothing else to do. So I want to close just with the words of our, our Lord and Savior and John 7. Uh, verses 37 and 38, and, and he says this. He says, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, uh, we live in a land, we live in a time where there are many local congregations who gather to worship you as you reveal yourself in, this, in the scriptures. And while the psalmist was unable, unable to be in the temple to worship you with others, we at times willingly choose other priorities or simply don't come. My prayer, Lord, is that you would give us not a guilt, but a longing to be near you in corporate worship, a longing to gather and, and praise you, a longing to, to hear your word proclaimed, to be nourished at the Lord's Supper, to uh, to walk away with a greater sense of your realness, your closeness, your mightiness, your love, your, your grace that is sufficient for our lives. Lord, restore our, our passion for you, that we might thirst like the deer for water just to be near you, close to you. And would you satisfy us like the streams of water do indeed satisfy a deer. We ask this in the name of our one ancient hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.